Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Welcome to DSC's Campfires with Larry Wysoon. The unique blend of hunting, conservation, and the outdoor lifestyle, delivered in an entertaining, informative fashion that only a veteran outdoorsman can do. DSC's Campfires is brought to you by DSC, Conservation, Education, and Hunter Advocacy. Hornady, Accurate, Deadly, Dependable. Trigicon, Brilliant Aiming Solutions. Taurus, Makers of the Raging Hunter Handgun. Burnham Brothers Game Calls, Double Nickel Taxidermy. Now here's your host, Larry Wysu. Thank you, David Fox, and everybody, welcome to the first week of summer. June is here, June the 4th coming up this weekend, which will be the Saturday. We're holding the DSC Foundation Gala, or Gala if you prefer. This is our fundraiser, our annual fundraiser, and kind of caught in a motel room, headed that way right now to the uh, latter part of this particular week. We've got a bunch of things going on as far as DSC is concerned to begin with. We've got the DSC chapter presidents coming in from all over all over the states. We've got numerous chapters and their presidents and at least one representative is coming in. We're going to sit down for a while and visit about a lot of different things about what DSC is doing, what the chapters are doing, what we can do to help each other and to really promote conservation, education, and hunter advocacy. And as the the days progress while I'm there, hoping to pull some of those presidents aside and spend a little time with them here on the podcast because these chapters really are kind of becoming beside the members and the volunteers and it seemed like everybody that's a DSC member is a volunteer but these are kind of the backbone of the DSC organization and all the great things that we do that as far as again wildlife conservation 
education and also hunter advocacy. So really looking forward to that, but really looking forward as well too for the gala, the evening of June the 4th, which is Saturday. And if you can't make it, gosh, we wish you could be there because it's going to be so much fun to be there in person. But even if you can't be there in person, let me strongly suggest that you can support the missions of the DSC Foundation and really help there by going to our DSCF.org website and you can go there and then you can actually register to bid on those items that we have up for auction. There's just a whole bunch of them. I've talked about them a little bit in the past. I've got a rifle that I'm donating. It's a, it's a started out as a Remington Model 700 and made it into a match-grade arms custom rifle. This goes back to about 1996 or so, back when I was getting ready to go on my first trip to Africa. Spent some time with Carrie and, and Carol O'Day, and they said, you know what, we need to make you a rifle for your first trip. And I told them, you know, I agree. So we reached an agreement in terms of what the price would be, and as we talked... Kerry said, you know, I think what we're going to do, if it's okay with you, let, let's skeletonize the action. Let's make it a really lightweight. We'll put a put a um, muzzle brake on it. Said so even with the lightness of the rifle, he said, want to do that. He said, I know you like to mountain hunt as well, too. And he said, I think, we, he said, I know. I said, he said, I know we can make an absolutely unbelievably accurate rifle that's really lightweight as well, too. They'll be fun to hunt with, fun to shoot, and you know, it sounded really good to me. So they built this rifle for me in, in 300 Win Mag. And this when I got it, it was really lightweight. It had a, a custom stock to it, a lot of custom work on it. Of course, trigger had been changed out a little bit too. And I had a barrel that was a relatively thin barrel. And I'm going, oh my gosh, I'm not so sure about the accuracy on this thing. And until I took it to the range. And I took it to the range, and this thing just really. As long as that barrel did not really heat up, I could put three fairly quick rounds through it and literally just ream that 308 hole to about a 30.32 caliber hole kind of thing. Really impressed after that the barrel heated up and and, uh, and the, the group size increased. But even as the group size increased with a hot barrel, there still would have taken down an animal at, at 200 yards. But... I get tickled with all that because of the fact that it is a really thin barrel, but you know, at the same time, it's that first shot that's the most important. And I spent a lot of time on the FTW with Tim Fallon and his crew, and basically there the thoughts are, and this is, they should be, that it's the first shot that kills the animal. It's the first shot that counts. And But you do want something that you can follow up on if you need to. Uh, which that particular rifle does. Well, I, I took it to Africa and shot my first African game with it. it happened to be a black wildebeest that I shot it, oh, probably about 250 yards using Hornady ammo at the time and, and 180 grain and uh, uh, kind of interlock type bullet and did absolutely fantastic on every animal that I shot with except kudu. And I say that because of the kudu, I was so pumped, so uptight about shooting at kudu that my first shots at kudu were in every place probably but what you would describe as a vital area and I had to spend a bunch of time unfortunately i felt real bad about the animal but uh was able to take him down and uh but other than that everything i shot was was a one-shot kill and and did absolutely fantastic that bullet went exactly where i held 
and unfortunately on the kudu I was shaking badly and kind of caught up in kudu fever but uh, it was, then was able to take a second one. We were hunting with Frontier Safaris and was able to take a second kudu and second kudu I shot a fairly long distance down in a big old deep hall and hit it and immediately went down and we worked our way down through all kinds of cactus and rocks and down in this hole that essentially he was in and, and then watched the, the trackers carry that animal out whole without even gutting it and up an angle of probably about a 50, 60 degree, uh, maybe in some places a little bit uh, more acute angle than that. But uh, anyway, kind of digress from, from that particular rifle, but it's it's going to be the first one up for sale. and. It's topped with a Simmons scope. Years ago, I did a lot of work with Simmons promoting their hunting scopes, but they also developed a single scope that was built for the for the military. This particular scope variable has had turrets, and this is before turrets were even really even considered on anything having to do with with hunting or anything like that. And this particular scope was one of about a hundred, and at the time. Even the top line of, of Simmons scopes were selling for about three hundred to three hundred and fifty dollars. And the way this scope was built, with how stoutly is built, with the glass, with somebody with the internal mechanisms, had Simmons wanted to release this scope, and they thought about it for a while about possibly releasing it to the public for a hunting type scope because it serves that purpose extremely well. But that scope that back at that time would have had to have retailed in the neighborhood of maybe three thousand five hundred to three thousand seven hundred and fifty and they just didn't feel like they could market enough of those scopes at that time to really make it worthwhile. So the scope it's on it's been on the rifle ever since I first put it together and extremely accurate. Uh all both the scope and the um, and the, uh, the the rifle itself and Recently, before I decided to donate it, and it really took a lot of consideration as to whether or not I wanted to give this rifle away or sell it, and uh, because it was the first rifle I took to Africa and, and, and then hunted mountain game with it throughout uh, a bunch of other countries here in North America, like meaning uh, Canada and in Mexico up in the mountains, and shot a coos deer with it, shot some white-tailed deer with it, shot some mule deer with it, shot a few other animals up in the in the higher country with it, as to whether I really wanted to turn this rifle loose or did I want to keep it. And I got to thinking about it. The DSC Foundation does so many really good things, and all the money that comes in goes out. It does not go into anybody's pocket. It's a to we're totally volunteer. Uh, Corey Mason is our executive director, who's also the executive director of the DSC. But... Beyond all that, all the money that comes in goes out to very worthwhile wildlife projects. When you get right down to probably over half goes here in North America and the other half is, is uh, less than half is scattered throughout different parts of the world with some emphasis on Africa because of the problems that are occurring in Africa in terms of bringing animals in and all those kind of things, that's the first step of the anti to to go after what they consider uh, low-hanging fruit and once they can establish a policy about animals coming out of Africa or determining what happens with animals in Africa then it becomes relatively easily for them to uh, to do things here in North America that would be very anti-hunting very anti-wildlife because without hunting no matter where you are in the world 
wildlife doesn't exist. Well, it, it just it does not exist. There's no longer commercial value, and, and the only reason some of the times that we have, most of the times actually, that we still have animals in certain countries is the fact that those animals are hunted and they're sports hunted, which is a regulated hunting that only takes a percentage of what that population can afford to lose. Maybe just try to lose, uh, take only what would be normally be the normal mortality rate and uh, the dollars go into protection of it. And more importantly, when that animal has value in those small areas or the small communities, then those animals protected rather than just going in and wholesale shot out. So looking at all those things, I decided to, to donate this rifle, and it's an absolutely fantastic one. There's still time if you get this on Friday or two, because we'll have the auction Saturday night. So you can go online and, and you can bid on that rifle. We've got a mule deer hunt that I'm not really hosting out on the Hargrove Ranch that I've spent a bunch of time at and love mule deer hunting out there, and, but probably will be in camp about the same time. So. I always get somebody said, man, Larry, really would like to come hunting with you. Well, you know, here's here's an opportunity. We'll spend some time together, and, and uh, oh, who knows? We may see if we can call up a mule deer while you're out there, too, if you happen to catch the, the top bid on, on that one. But there's so many other good, unbelievable hunts coming up, opportunities to uh, to go shoot a, uh Asiatic buffalo with one of uh, Mr. Jones's historic rifles and actually we've got a historic rifle event going on this week as well too it'll be on uh, thursday night friday and saturday so we'll be underway by the time you probably get this or by the chance you have an opportunity to listen to it but uh, you can learn more about that too by going to the biggame.org site of dsc and and all that money that comes in on that will pretty much be ear tagged toward our advocacy side of things and really kind of pushing that right now as much as we can. We hired, uh, we being DSC and, and, and DSC Foundation to a lesser degree, hired Miss Erica Turgeson. Miss Erica was on the um, podcast here not too long ago. I'll have an opportunity hopefully to sit down with her a little bit while we're in uh, Dallas this later this week and, and try to get an update from her. But this lady is one of the best lobbyists, if you will, there is in all of, of the Washington area and, and very much devoted, very much dedicated to wildlife and wildlife conservation. Comes from a, a ranch in Colorado, in northern Colorado, and, and when, where she was born and, and learned how to, uh, to hunt and appreciate wildlife and appreciate habitat. And These days she lives somewhere up close to Washington, D.C., of course, and but she still retains the that Western thought in her mind. <laughs> really surprised she's not from Texas after visiting with her, just in terms of her philosophies and her her thoughts about wildlife and conservation and all those things. And these days, whenever she has an opportunity, she's got some horses, as you can imagine, being from a ranch in Colorado. But she loves to. Uh, to run foxhounds and follow the hounds with the uh, with the horses, kind of started back, I guess, many many years ago in in, in England, and and was brought over here. You know, a lot of people don't realize, but guys like our George Washington and, and a lot of those others of that era of the late 1700s, they had foxhounds, they had horses, and they followed the hounds as well too. So very traditional type of hunting, and uh, from everything I can 
visit with with Miss Erica and, and her philosophy and everything. Very traditional lady as well too, with all the right values when it comes to hunting and conservation and and, uh, and people as well too. So, again, one of those things that uh, kind of off the subject a little bit, but at the same time, very important when it comes to wildlife conservation. Uh, this weekend is going to be a real lot of fun as well too. Uh, we honoring Miss uh, Fiona Capstick as the our DSC Foundation Conservationist of the Year as well too and she'll be there to speak and hopefully we'll be able to capture some of her talk and then bring it back to you here on this one as well too on our podcast and, and uh, but great great lady of course Peter Capstick uh, was an unbelievable author who really kind of popularized people wanting to go back to Africa with all the books that he wrote and just an unbelievable individual but uh We've got, she's going to be there. We've got uh, a lot of other people that are coming in specifically for the event. But uh, as I mentioned, a lot of those auction items are related to things that we were talking about. And, you know, the uh, Indy 500 uh, ran not too long ago and some of the other big races. And, and Richard Childress, who is a huge supporter of wildlife conservation, Richard's going to be there, and one of the items that's on the auction list is to do a, an axis deer hunt with him in the, the Texas Hill Country. So uh, whoever wins the top bid on that thing will have the opportunity to spend time with, with Richard in uh, in a hunting camp situation. And, you know, to me, those are the most ideal places to spend any time around people in, in, a, in a hunting camp because everybody kind of relaxes a little bit more, and, you know, the stories kind of go on a little bit late in the night a lot of times, so... Uh, all those kind of great things, but that and so many other items are on the uh, on the agenda for Saturday night in terms of the auction. And again, that auction will close as we do the live bid starting at about 7 o'clock Saturday. So if you get this and you happen to listen to it, you know, please go to uh, dscf.org and it'll send you on to the... Uh, the auction page and you can register there in a very it's a very safe site and and who knows you may be the the winner of a bid on, on one of the hunts that we've got coming up or some of the items we've got some great guns coming up at, for the there that night as well too i think there's a pair of christensen arms that are being auctioned off and a couple of other guns as well too of course if you're there in person you'll see an unbelievable raffle uh, number of items in terms of raffle. We're doing a, a whitetail hunt as well on the raffle with uh, Brandon Houston, who with uh, I served with on the H3 Whitetail Solutions company that we formed uh, or that he formed and has asked me to be a part of. And uh, that'll be an opportunity to spend some time in a really good ranch and shoot a really nice whitetail. I mean, that place I've hunted it going to go back and hunt it this year again too and it's got a lot of hogs and it's it's got the fishing is great the ponds and of course the whitetail there in a very well managed open fence if you will low fence situation so really one of those top-notch places to that really the only way to get on this place is if you're not part of of uh Brandon's family that loves to hunt, you know, they don't take hardly anybody on that ranch at all. So I got fortunate last year to go there and shoot a really nice 10 point. And since we formed the company, his, his parents are, are part of that organization as well, too, of H3 Whitetail Solutions. And uh, so uh, we can, uh, you know, we'd love to have you 
get that item and uh, come go hunt with us while you can, you know. And same thing with the mule deer. And there are just so many good hunts coming up there as well. And maybe there's some fishing trips as well, too. So got a little bit of things for everybody. We've got a few uh, uh, very, very expensive, as far as I'm concerned, uh, jewelry items that are absolutely fabulous. So if you get a chance and there's still time for you to do so, please, please, please go to, you can go to B-I-G-G-A-M-E.O-R-G as well too, and, and or the, uh, again, I'll repeat it, D-S-C-F.O-R-G and get you on to the, the to the auction item things. Coming off of uh, uh, a time that in really kind of a sad and a horrible time as well too, I know that everybody's listening to this has heard what's gone on in Uvalde in the past several days with the um, uh, horrible school shooting. My wife and I and, and my daughters, we lived there uh, a long time. Uh, both my daughters essentially grew up there. Both of them graduated from Uvalde High School. Uh, my daughters went to Robb Elementary where this horrible thing happened. And my younger daughter, Beth, who uh, partners with me in the uh, in the uh, uh, the crown bars that we have, uh, she taught school there for a while. She did all of her uh, student, student teaching there. And still has some really close friends there, and, and unfortunately, it, this, it's just a really a bad situation that uh, some just one individual, and it, that's who the fault lies to, is, is that particular individual. It's not the gun's fault, not the teacher's fault, not the not the uh, law enforcement officers that were there trying to, to do the best that they can or could under the circumstances they had to deal with. In time, I think the entire story will come out as to why they were not able to get into the the, the, uh, the classroom there as, as everybody wanted them to, and I'm sure even, you know they wanted to. There's no doubt. I know some of those officers, and they would have totally not cared anything about their life trying to save lives of some of those children but uh, I would ask that anybody and everybody that listens to this uh, keep those families in your prayers there that those are horrible things that happen and it, the effect of that is of course been rippled throughout the nation and throughout the world kind of thing and and we'll we'll see what happens and what is done and as we move forward uh, as they really tear into this, maybe they'll have a better idea as to what could have, could really have been done to, to prevent this. Again, so very often people go, "Oh my God, it's the gun." Well, yeah, it, the gun spit forth the bullets, but that gun, if it had been standing in a corner, could have stood there for eons until it rusted, till and fell a piece, fell apart, and not spit forth bullets until somebody with evil in their heart picked it up and and pointed it in the the direction of somebody else and pull the trigger. Um, that's just, it's not, it, it's its sad. It's sad. There's something that's got to be done. And, and I'm sure we'll, we'll see some, some, some drastic changes, hopefully, in, in the future to try to prevent any more of these kind of things. Interesting thing about all that is, is that I grew up in an area when uh, it wasn't, everybody that could, once you got into the high school situation that had a vehicle, uh, or your parents' vehicle, and it was hunting season. You drove your vehicle onto the school lot, and there were guns in those pickup trucks hanging on the racks. The windows were open. Nobody ever messed with anybody's guns. But back then, people had a lot more respect for the law, respect for the life. Uh, parenting was a whole lot different back then. 
uh, school discipline was considerably different from what it is now. Uh, we had a prayer each morning, and we were taught to respect life and respect the, the values of others. And, and so that's one of those things that we, we need to take. We need to go back and, and really go back to the very deep roots, I think, and, and really spend time with these kids and, and change how some of the things that have been done. We, we live in a very liberal world, of, and, and unfortunately the liberals have shown us what they can do, and now it's time for some of those folks who are a bit more conservative to uh, go back to the old traditional value ways to, to, again, instill things in children while they're young, spend time with kids, keep them off the... Off the, off the phone uh, you know there's a lot of things about talking uh, and I wish that in this situation I wish I could be sitting across the campfire with each and every one of you to where I could look you right in the eyes when we're talking and we've removed that human factor with, with phones in terms of making calls, in terms of texting, in terms of emails, uh, in terms of social media. Uh, all those things have changed so very drastically in, in, in since that time and when I was growing up and even when my children were growing up. Nobody had any school shootings back then. There, every once in a while there'd be a little old fight that kind of started out and those were always resolved pretty darn quickly and, and nobody very, you know, very seldom, at least in the areas that we lived or the, where we had friends that even lived in some of the larger cities, we never had any problems like they're having these days. So to me, the, the problem is a whole lot deeper than, than gun control, a whole lot deeper than, than a few other things. And I think it's time we start taking a serious look at some of the things that have changed and what we can do to bring those back to where it was maybe a few years ago to, again, where people have a true respect of life, respect of each other. And um, I think if we can do that, have, have God in our community. And uh, we've tried our best to remove God from everything, and, and it's not God's fault. God doesn't, God doesn't allow these kind of bad things. Some say, why would God allow these things? Well, it's not God that's doing it. It's, it's some person that's that's doing it and it's got the evil heart that's doing it you know that's god's there to help us to get past those things and so uh it's it's time i think we brought the good lord back into our community in a lot of different ways and, and sometimes it's it's tragedies that bring us back to those values that we really need to have and if there's any good that comes out of all this thing that's gone on here and some of the other school shootings that I, as well is that we take a serious look as to our culture, our our, our time of, of, of the world, if you will, and, and, and make some changes there. And anyway, the, off the high horse kind of thing, but I couldn't let this podcast go by without saying a few words about the, the people in, in the Uvalde area and, and all the things that happened there, that our thoughts and prayers are going to be with them for a long, 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 long time, as, and as, as they well should be. Just came off of uh, an opportunity to to uh, go down to the NRA for the Hunter Leadership Forum dinner, which was uh, a kind of an opportunity to honor Donald Trump Jr. for some of the many things that he's done to try to help in terms of wildlife, in terms of hunting, and and was there when he was presented with their conservationist uh, award and. Listen to Miss Karen Mehal Phillips. Karen is a dear friend of many many years. Uh, 
going back to a long time when she was first getting with the NRA and we were with the Great American Hunters Tour and, and got to know Karen over the years and, and wrote for her on occasion. She was, was and still is an editor on the hunting side of things when it, on NRA and listened to her talk and she did, did an absolutely fabulous job uh, in terms of kind of bringing us up to date as to what's kind of going on in the world of hunting in uh, some of her perspectives. She was in Turkey. Uh, she and her husband, Phil, also long-term friend, long-time friend, they were in Turkey and they were hunting Ibex, something both of them had wanted to do and saved for a long time to do. And hunting there with Khan and, and uh, he came to them while they were there and said, okay, they're shutting down the season. They're closing the, the, the Ibex season in two days. And uh, Karen, I think, proved how really tough a lady she is when it comes to crawling up and down mountains and took an absolutely fantastic Ibex one that, that was so far away and so far up there that the guides even questioned as to whether or not they, they I think, wanted to go after it. But uh, So I had a chance to visit with Karen and, and, and Phil there and graciously with, with a whole bunch of other people and had a little time to visit with uh, Donald Trump Jr., who I'd met several years ago with uh, when we were presenting the Weatherby Award to uh, Jim Shockey, uh, probably about four years ago, whatever it was now, and, and uh, kind of kept up with him. And I know that uh, Mike Scobie, who used to be the editor of Peterson's Hunting, Mike, and I've known each other for a long time, and, and uh, Jeff Johnson, I think, now too. Jeff is another dear friend, writer out of the um, out of Oklahoma. Spent some time with him over the years in uh, different situations, and I think both those guys now are working for uh, Donald Jr. in, in terms of, of wildlife and hunting and, and properties and managing some of his hunts and those kind of things. So had a great time sitting and visit with those guys for a little while and with uh, and finally got to meet Eric uh, Trump, Donald Jr.'s brother. and Had an absolutely great time visiting with a whole lot of other folks there as well, too. Uh, some people from within the industry, uh, the guys from uh, Taurus, uh, the guys from Hornady, and good gosh, a whole bunch of other folks as well, too. So had a great evening there, and, and uh, then had a little benefit at one of our bars, or really both of our bars, to kind of help come up with some money to help the uh, the families of Uvalde. Uh, there are various funds being set up to kind of help some of these folks. Uh, that the families that were affected are absolutely fantastic families, but some of them really don't have a really high paying jobs, if you will. And, and so any help that we can do in terms of, of financial help and, and more moral support, I think it's more about just knowing, letting them know that we really, really care. Uh, I know that there are people around who have given just small amounts of money, but for them it was a large amount of money. and. And uh, there are all kinds of funds being set up. Uh, and there's a 5013C thing through the uh, uh, U Valley First Aid Bank as well, too. So uh, if you're so inclined, uh, you might Google just funds. Uh, but there, I'd, I'd make sure that they're connected with the with the U Valley First Aid Bank because there are a lot of things coming up, too. I'm sure there'll be some fraudulent things set up. Go, please help families. And, and the money goes in somebody's pocket rather than doing any good. Something you always want to you always want to vet those things. You don't want to just jump in and, and and do it. That's one of the things. Like with our DFC Foundation, 
we get grant requests from all over the world. Those grant requests are extremely vetted, not only here with us, with our seven-member board, but we've got an advisory board that if we have any questions that we can go to and, and ask them about. And then the same thing with the, the countries where they're coming from or the areas where those requests are coming from. We can we have excellent contacts all over the world where we can vet individuals who are involved with those organizations. We can vet those organizations. And, ports, port, of course, part of all that this comes down to, that if we do grant money, that that money it goes to the right place, the right things get done, and reports have to be filed back to us to show that the money was actually used and uh, some of the benefits thereof. Of, of them receiving the money. So uh, it's one of the things that's really good about DSC. And, you know, I mentioned the chapter system earlier. Uh, I want to come back to that just for a second. The chapters are set up such that kind of a loose-knit organization. But uh, the deal is, is uh, there's uh, their best fundraiser, individual fundraiser, not the total amount of money they take in through the years, but their, their best fundraiser of that net uh, DSC proper gets 5% and that 5% helps to do paperwork to do all kinds of things and we have Carson Keys who's the uh, young man who's the coordinator of all the chapters and who spends a tremendous amount of time with each one of the chapters and that 5% helps to go pay for his salary 20% of that uh, their fundraiser, their top fundraiser, goes to the DSC Foundation with the understanding that it goes into a fund. Now, that fund is then set up so that the money that that chapter brings in or, or sends to DSC Foundation, they can determine from a tremendous list of projects worldwide that they want that money to go to. So basically they still control where that money goes to. We kind of serve as at DSC Foundation as kind of a, the clearinghouse, if you will, to, to make sure the money comes in, to make sure the money goes out, that all the proper paperwork is done, that we can for certainty maintain our 5013C status. And uh, so... DSC chapters are, are totally different. They, of course, the, the rest of the 75% of the money that they bring in on their fundraisers, then can they can decide where they want it to go to different local projects, to worldwide projects, wherever that chapter would like for it to go. But again, in all the money that's sent in, with the exception of that 5% that goes to help pay Carson's salary to pay the uh, travel expenses to get him to the different places and to handle all the different paperwork that's required these days, uh, all the money that that they come up with in different chapters, they really determine where those dollars are spent and how those dollars are spent. And that's totally different from any other conservation organization that, that's out there right now. So uh, something to think about. You know, we're always looking for DSC members. We had a tremendous increase in membership this past year and kind of expecting the same thing in, the, in this year as well, too. With all that said, I've, I've got to get finished here and uh, pack up and, and have to go by and see Mr. David Fox before I head to, to Dallas and, and talk about a couple of other projects we're working on. And, and same thing, I have to visit with Luke Clayton. And uh, Luke and I have got a couple of different projects we're working on in terms of habitat that we're trying to, that you can watch and see what we're doing actually on, on A Sportsman's Life. 
which is on Carbon TV. And, of course, now I am so extremely proud that uh, this particular podcast, my DSC's Campfires with Larry Weissin, is now also on uh, Carbon TV. But, you know, before we go, I've got to mention one other thing. We've talked a lot about DSC. I want to visit a little bit about... Uh, Hayden Outdoors. Hayden Outdoors came on as a, a sponsor of the Conservation of Day. And sometimes Conservation of Day is, is a short segment with uh, guys like uh, Brandon Houston with H3 Whitetail Solutions. And sometimes it's just a little bit of a conversation as, as far as, as, as I'm concerned with me, with looking at some of the things that I've done in the, the background. One of the things that uh, I had a chance to do the last couple of days, uh, kind of relative to uh, to the uh, Hayden Outdoors is got to spend some time on a friend's ranch up at uh, oh close to Wichita Falls, Texas. This ranch in the past had been grazed very heavily, and uh, but in a beautiful, unbelievably great wildlife area. There's quite a few deer. There's we found out worlds of hogs, and they're trying to reestablish in some areas more or less kind of what the prairies were like many, many years ago through the uh, uh, graze, through, through wildlife grazing, if you will. You know, when it comes to grazing, we've talked a little bit about on conservation today about that in the past, but grazing can play such an important role in terms of wildlife. Uh, there are times when to pull the cattle off, such as on my place. Uh, it's been just to start bringing it back, but as soon as it's back a little bit, I'm going to start grazing cattle again because the area that place is in is substantial rainfall. And usually, I should say, substantial rainfall. We're in a drought right now, but so the restoration, if you will, or the bringing back of the of the grasses becomes rather rapid. So I don't want that entire grass cover to take over all the little weeds that could be coming up or the little trees that I've got planted that keep those brushed down and and those kind of things so grazing becomes very important now we were up on the prairie that area at one time had tremendous buffalo populations and what would happen and the elk would come down and the pronghorn antelope and there were deer in the valleys you know in the in the or in the thickets if you will but but the the uh, with in terms of grazing it Nature had kind of set up a, a rotational grazing kind of thing with the buffalo. The buffalo would come down, eat most of the grass. Uh, they would stomp seeds into the ground. They would create little divots in the ground that where water could accumulate. And they'd come in and graze it down, and, and the, it would start trying to rehair itself, if you will, for lack of a better term. And all these little weeds and, and little brush and things would come in, and about that time the elk would come in and the pronghorn antelope would come in, and, and they ate a lot of that that came up that was replacing the grass. And so then the grass came back up again, and they just kind of moved on and followed the uh, the elk herd. I'm sorry, the, the elk followed the uh, bison herds or the buffalo herds. Same thing with some of the pronghorn in, on the prairies as well, too. And so it was kind of a continual it was a continual rotation grazing kind of thing and, and that's what we're setting up on this property so I, I get tickled and I get aggravated at the same time I deal with a lot of folks in the past who really don't understand the importance of, of grazing wildlife uh, or grazing cattle in a wildlife program and uh, they go man there ain't never going to be I know that's a double negative there ain't ever going to be another cow in this place well that's the wrong attitude to take the attitude to take is 
as soon as this range recovers, we're going to start running grazers on this property again as well uh, to maintain that grass cover, but also to maintain that grass cover where some of the little weeds can come up. You know, to me, the ideal thing is to, when you're grazing, is to talk about cattle and, and, and grazers, is to allow about half of whatever is standing to be grazed down and to then let that grass come back. But that also allows uh, a little bit more sunlight penetrating the ground. And uh, then you get all the little weeds that come up and that are so important for insects like butterflies, which I dearly love, and, and all the little things that, uh, that turkeys and quail and, and uh, songbirds and eat, not just the, the, the seeds, but also the little insects. So, you know, to me, if, if you're into wanting wildlife, you need to take a serious look at, at setting up some kind of a grazing system with domestic stock. And that may mean grazing every three years. It may mean grazing uh, pasture for a little while and pulling the cattle off. It may mean a cow-calf operation that you move around. It may mean a stalker or a steer program where you bring them in for three or four months and let it graze, let them graze everything down and then pull them out and let the range recover. So this is one of the things, too, that uh, these guys who are agents with Hayden Outdoors can, can really spend time visiting with you about and explaining that situation as to maybe where your property is. If you buy a new piece of property in terms of should I be grazing cattle, should I hold off the cattle for a while, or, you know, all those kind of things. That's one of the great things about the, the agents that work with Hayden Outdoors. These guys are outdoor people, they're wildlife people, and they're, they're livestock people. So, you know, if you get ready to buy a piece of property, get in touch with Hayden Outdoors, and uh, or if you're wanting to sell a property, they're an absolutely great bunch as far as I'm concerned, best in, in best in the world when you get right down to it. But uh, get in touch with them and, and uh, see what they can do for you, because I know that they can, and and uh, really looking forward to hopefully, as I mentioned earlier, you'll be still have time to bid on some of the auction items at. Uh, with the DSC Foundation Gala that's on June the 4th. And uh, afterwards, we'll come back next week. Who tells? Who knows? I'm going to spend a lot of time. I uh, heard Shane Mahoney's coming in for a little bit, so maybe I can get Shane on the podcast and, and, and a few others that I really want to hope to talk to with. And so look for everybody to join us right back here next week on DSC's Campfires. Thanks for joining us around the campfire. To leave a comment or suggestion for an upcoming episode, go to Instagram at Larry Wysoon Outdoors. Please join me right here next week for another DSC's Campfires. <laughs> DSC's Campfires with Larry Wysoon has also been brought to you by The Crown Bar in LaGrange, Texas, H3 Whitetail Solutions, Remington, Texas Wildlife Association, TRHP Outdoors, 